Okay, welcome to Progressive News Network and the Environmental Justice Report Sunday show. My name is Janine Moloff. I'm your I'm the producer and host of both shows, which we've kind of combined into this Sunday format. Today we're doing Progressive News Network, and this week on PNN, uh, and I'm going to scroll down here. Our um, give me a second here. It's hard to see. Our founder, Rick Spizak, has crafted an essay that will run, and, and I'm sure it'll be illuminating as always. Uh, we're also going to focus on another Supreme Court case, another power grab by the conservatives, the rogue conservatives on the SCOTUS, the Supreme Court. And once again, and I did not plan this. I swear to God I didn't. So far I've done, I've written three parts of a series on judicial capture that is featured first on BuzzFlash, so you can Google Janine Moloff for BuzzFlash, and then it goes after that to Nation of Change and Op-Ed News. And this, the last two weeks I've read articles were published on, the, on two of the parts of the series, and this week, since this Moore v. Harper case came up, it deals with this old doctrine that previous Supreme Courts have stated are illegitimate called the Independent State Legislature's Doctrine. And I wrote this piece back in, I think it was March, and it's come up again. And so normally I don't read things straight from what I've written, but this just, again, happy accident. So we're going to be talking about that. And then, of course, we are going to talk about... Um, the Jackass of the Week Award. So right now I'm looking for Rick's piece. Oh, this is hard to see. I desperately need new glasses. What can I tell you folks? So give me a second here. I, I know I could, I, you know, again, I'm new to all this. Our, our former producer, Brooke, would have known exactly what to do in terms of the technical aspects of the program. I'm not that gifted. So just kind of bear with me. Let's see now. Oh, this is so hard to see. God, we need to do something about this. Let's see now. Where is Rick's piece? Good Lord. I deal, kind of bear with me. I know I just passed it too. Yeah, I did. Hold on. So kind of bear with me, folks, as I'm about to get it. It's just difficult to see. Any of you who have visual issues can definitely empathize. You know, it's just, it is what it is. There it is, found it. Okay, so I'm going to play that in a minute. Kind of thank you for bearing with me. And as I was saying before, after Rick's piece, which is entitled, Where Has the demo, where have the demos gone? I guess the Democrats, and it's an essay. It should just take just a few minutes. Then we're going to get right into our major piece, which is on the Independent State Legislature's Doctrine. It is a very dangerous time in this country. And this is not just because I don't like conservatives. And I admit, I don't like conservatives, but this isn't the case on this, these issues. This is because we have conservatives on the Supreme Court that have gone rogue, all right? That's the bottom line. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that. And then our, we have a very special jackass of the week. We do. It, it, it's quite touching. 
and of course I'm being very sarcastic here, but you know, when you live in times like this where, oh my God, there is so much freaking stupidity out there. I, I, just it's beyond the it's beyond the pale, all right. But on this show, you're going to get honesty, not the talking heads. So here we go. So without further ado, here is our first little feature. This is from our founder Rick Spizak. It's a, a very short essay, just slightly under four minutes. Where have the demos gone? And here we go. Where did all the democracy go? An essay by Richard Spizak. Over the last dozen years, our oligarchs have paid remarkably high sums to place controllable individuals in lower offices at the local and regional level who have worked aggressively to either criminalize dissent, pass laws against protest, increase penalties for protest, or even pass laws that permit automobile drivers to run over protesters and kill them if they impede them by protesting. Add to that the increasing use of paid agent provocateurs to discredit protesters, which A, delegitimizes all protesters, and B, gives the police and military the excuse to brutally beat, shoot, arrest anyone in reach with complete and utter impunity and ultimately facing zero consequences. The right-wing money class purchases and funds right-wing judges and legislators who deliver increasingly draconian laws which further delegitimize protests. We have a situation where laws are being written and judicial rulings being handed down that are deeply, widely opposed, but because purchasing judges and legislators is legalized these days, they are written by a select few for the benefit of select few against the broad will of the largest group of citizens. We hear in the largely muzzled and tamed corporate press that this unpopular law was passed and that this unpopular judicial ruling has been delivered and many, many people believe this to be wrong and is widely opposed. Too many guns in too many hands, police violence, even murder is condoned and left unpunished, women's rights were reduced and torn away, corporate greed is encouraged, wages are reduced again and again while upper bracket oligarchs wages and compensation soar and soar unchecked. How can this be in a state that is on paper a sort of democratic republic? What is revealed to the close observer is that judges and legislators are now purchased on the gray market. Through campaign laws and rules, the responsiveness of both the judiciary and the legislator has shifted entirely from the attention to the needs and desires of citizens to the needs and desires of the corporate titans and oligarchs whose interests rarely intersect with working men and women. Now, it seems that any pretense of caring for children and students has been nearly zeroed out. This was so clearly on display in Uvalde, Texas, where children and their teachers were murdered, and not only did the heavily armed police stand by, they actively prevented parents from rescuing their children. Two things must also be said. Officers on the scene did rescue their own children, and they also handcuffed parents and sprayed them with pepper spray if they attempted to go in. Remarkably, not one officer or commander has yet faced any charges. Sadly, it is too horribly true, and it must be said in our highest court 
that gun owners have more rights than women, and that while it was deemed by our heart too much of an imposition to wear a mask, bearing a child against a woman's will is no big deal. Where has all the democracy gone? An essay by Richard Spisa. Okay, so that was our founder, Rick Spizak. And as always, very erudite. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. So now, and thank you, Rick, okay? This it was a, a lovely essay and very much on target. So here, we're going to talk about the big story, which is the new case that the Supreme Court has agreed to take, and it is Moore v. Harper. And it's, as you look at our advert, it's the bogus theory, which has been pushed by multiple conservatives, but especially by Neil Gorsuch. And that's the Independent State Legislature's Doctrine, which essentially grants state legislatures the power to potentially reverse election results they don't happen to like. I'm going to read that one again, because you need to let that sink in. The Independent State Legislature's Doctrine essentially grants state legislatures the power to potentially reverse election results they don't happen to like. And this case is a direct attack on democracy itself. So let's move on, okay? So first, I'm going to be talking about this piece that was on Democracy Now! And Democracy Now! had Carolyn Shapiro on the show. Carolyn Shapiro is a professor of law and a director of the Institute on the Supreme Court of the United States at Chicago Kent College of Law. She's also the former Illinois Solicitor General from 2014 to 2016. So this past Thursday, the Supreme Court announced that it would hear oral arguments in a case, the case of Moore v. Harper. And this is a case which is, they're seeking to, re, quote, to reinstate gerrymandered congressional maps that were struck down by North Carolina's highest court. Now, to go on, I'm reading straight from the Democracy Now! thing, quote, a ruling in favor of North Carolina Republicans could revive a marginal right-wing legal theory known as the Independent State Legislature Doctrine, potentially stripping state courts of their power to strike down state laws while expanding the power of GOP-controlled state legislatures to control federal elections. All right, so this predominantly would affect congressional elections, in other words, the U.S. House of Representatives, as well as presidential elections. Amy Goodman was interviewing um, Dr. Shapiro, Carolyn Shapiro. So one of the things they make an argument here is that, the, quote, the legal arguments brought forward by plaintiffs in Moore v. Harper could drastically alter how congressional and presidential elections are conducted. And they talk about the independent state legislature's doctrine. Now, the Supreme Court in the past has, quote, repeatedly rejected this doctrine for well over a century. Quote, but the theory has gained support in the new majority conservative court. Justices Neil Gorsuch, Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, and Brett Kavanaugh have all endorsed different versions of this doctrine. <coughs> now, this, this piece by Amy Goodman, this, this article on Democracy Now!, this interview that is, um, clearly states the three liberal judges, um, they've signaled that they will not overrule previous Supreme Court precedent rejecting this doctrine. 
So if you've got basically Gorsuch, Thomas, Alito, and Kavanaugh saying, we want this doctrine, and the three liberals saying no, then it all falls on Amy Coney Barrett, which is not a good thing. Okay? So that is the situation here. Now I'm going to go straight to my piece. All right? It's, it's just a happy coincidence that the three pieces, the three parts of the series I'm doing on judicial capture happens to be very timely. Take a little drink here. Okay. So this was a piece that ran in late March. It was part two of my judicial capture series in BuzzFlash. And those are all archived. You can access them at any time, just like this show. So the headline is, Janine Mala for BuzzFlash, Supreme Court conservatives about to kill fair elections permanently. Okay. This ran March 27th. 2022. Here we go. Conservative justices on the U.S. Supreme Court are readying their rhetorical knives to kill fair elections in the United States permanently. Their weapon of choice is a long discredited legal fiction known as the Independent State Legislature's Doctrine. This doctrine makes the claim that state legislatures have the sole right to create or alter all state-level election laws. This doctrine denies state-level courts any standing to adjudicate these election laws. It was reintroduced by Republicans via two cases accepted on the shadow docket. The cases to watch are Morgie Harper, and that's according to electionlawblog.org, and Toth V. Chapman, and that's according to Document Cloud. Though seemingly routine on the surface, they have dire implications for open and fair elections. Both cases deal with redistricting. On a deeper level, they could legitimize gerrymandering as a permanent fixture with no right of judicial review based on the old states' rights trope. These cases are the litigious trial balloon engineered to institute an illegitimate power grab by GOP-controlled state legislatures solidifying voter suppression schemes, bringing Jim Crow 2.0 raging back in full racist glory. Morby Harper and Toth v. Chapman. In the Moore case, the North Carolina Supreme Court struck down gerrymandered maps of congressional districts, which were drawn up by state Republicans. The GOP didn't agree with the state Supreme Court and in both cases appealed, not to the federal district court, but to the U.S. Supreme Court's shadow docket, which allows such sidestepping of established appellate procedure. procedure. In the Toth case, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court chose a congressional map after the Republican-dominated legislature and the Democratic governor were irretrievably deadlocked. Republicans in both states made the specious claim that state courts had no standing to intervene in redistricting cases based on, quote, the independent state legislature's doctrine. What is the independent state legislature's doctrine and why is it dangerous? End quote. Now I'm going to deviate from my article for a minute. You notice that I talk about two cases, not just one. The mainstream media will catch up eventually, but that would have required them to actually do some 
in-depth research, which, you know, again, that would require them to do some work. So let's go on to it. What is the independent, back to my article. What is the independent state legislature's doctrine and why is it dangerous? Okay. Ian, excuse me, Ian Milheiser wrote in Vox that, quote, the independent state legislature's doctrine derives from a deceptively simple reading of the Constitution, end quote. And that, as documented in Vox, by the fate of U.S. elections is in Amy Coney Barrett's hands. Going on. Milheiser explained further that the advocates of this doctrine based its justification on one solitary phrase in the Constitution, which states that, quote, the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof, end quote. And that's from the Legal, Inf Legal Information Institute from Cornell uh, Law School. Getting back to the article. Milheiser added that, quote, a separate provision says that presidential elections shall also be conducted in a manner determined by the state legislature, end quote. And that is from the National Constitution Center, Article 2, Executive Branch. That's the documentation. Back to the article. Based on this rigid and simplistic constitutional interpretation, election laws would be solely determined by the state legislatures with state courts stripped of any authority to adjudicate, much less reverse, abusive laws established by many of the same historically racist legislatures. Again, in theory, this doctrine would legitimize Jim Crow 2.0 with no subsequent standing to sue. This is the old states' rights trope writ large by the GOP. It grants the power of aristocratic privilege to the legislature essentially declaring a license to discriminate with impunity. Voter suppression and intimidation would be technically legal, once again, with no right of judicial appeal. The question remains, is this doctrine a legitimate interpretation of election law? Is this a scheme to strip universal voting rights using the structure of originalist constitutional theory? What is the history behind this radical interpretation that has been lurking in the shadows of the conservative imagination? Once again, Ian Milheiser, writing for Vox, provides a succinct explanation over the propaganda of conservative Ivy League drones. Milheiser himself has legal credentials, including a JD, magna cum laude, from Duke University. He has authored two books on the Supreme Court, namely, Injustices, Supreme Court's History of Comforting the Comfortable and Afflicting the Afflicted, and, quote, The Agenda, How the Republican Supreme Court is Reshaping America. There are three major problems Milheiser identified regarding this doctrine. The first problem comes directly from 100 years of previous SCOTUS Supreme Court precedent on record, which rejected the doctrine. The second problem is, ironically, of originalist nature, stating that the voting public at the time of the nation's founding also rejected the doctrine. Finally, Milheiser explained that this doctrine in actual application is, quote, unworkable. And those are all documented from Ed Vox in an article uh, titled Supreme Court, The Fate of U.S. Elections is in Amy Coney Barrett's hands, end quote. Milheiser also pointed out that this doctrine constitutes a direct attack on democracy, end quote. 
and it's from the same article in Vox. So let's go to the problems that Millheiser, I'm deviating from my article right now. Let's go to the problems that Millheiser specifically stated in his article. Oh, excuse me. No drink here. Back to my piece. Problem number one, 100 years of Supreme Court precedent rejecting the doctrine. The judicial system in America works on the idea of precedent in order to allegedly remain faithful to the law. There is on record 100 years of unchallenged precedent that has clearly rejected the independent state legislature's doctrine. The main precedent-setting cases are Davis v. Hildebrandt, Smiley v. Holmes, Arizona State Legislature versus the Arizona Independent Redistricting Commission, and Rucho v. Common Cause. Davis v. Hildebrandt in 1916, 1916. Excuse me. <coughs> Not in good voice today. Hold on. Davis v. Hildebrandt, 1916, 1916. The first case, Davis v. Hildebrandt, dealt with one simple question. Do the people retain the right to alter or change state election laws via the use of the referendum? The Davis case examined a provision in the Ohio State Constitution that granted voters a right to veto state laws using the referendum process. Davis presented with congressional maps created by the Ohio legislature, which were rejected by the people in a referendum election. The Supreme Court agreed in a unanimous opinion that Ohio's referendum right was valid. The Davis case took the term in quotes legislature to refer to, to I'm sorry, let me start again. The Davis case took the term and in quotes legislature to reference any group of people who were granted the power to make laws within a state as a quote legislative power, end quote. Since the Ohio Constitution granted such power via the referendum provision, quote, the referendum was treated as part of the legislative power, end quote, and, quote, should be held and treated to be the state legislative power for the purpose of creating congressional districts by law, end quote. Subsequently, voters casting ballots in a referendum election are part of that state legislature as viewed by cited relevant provisions in the U.S. Constitution. And that's as documented by um, Google Scholar in Ohio, XREL, Davis v. Hildebrandt. You can look at it yourself. The next, I'm deviating from my piece right now, the next case. Back to my piece. Smiley v. Holm, 1932. The case of Smiley v. Holm asked whether a governor had the legitimate power to veto a bill which impacted federal elections. The independent state legislature doctrine, which in, uh, would, I'm sorry, the independent state legislature doctrine would issue a resounding no to this question, as a governor is not from the state's legislative branch. Again, the Supreme Court rejected this rigid reading of the Constitution, claiming that state election laws must be enacted using the same processes as any other state law, and that's according to Supreme Court 1932 Google Scholar. Arizona State Legislature versus Arizona Independent Redistricting Commission, 2015. The Supreme Court reviewed the case of Arizona State Legislature versus Arizona Independent 
Redistricting Commission 2015. Again, plaintiffs argued the doctrine asked whether individuals, I'm sorry, again, plaintiffs arguing the doctrine asked whether individual states could license a bipartisan commission to create congressional maps. Plaintiffs pushing the independent state legislature doctrine claimed that such a right never existed since the commission is not part of the actual state, quote, legislature. The Supreme Court rejected the argument, as documented by supremecourt.gov. The court summarized past decisions on this issue and wrote that, quote, our precedent teaches that redistricting is a legislative function to be performed in accordance with the state's prescriptions for lawmaking, which may include the referendum and the governor's veto, end quote. This case sustained the idea that voters in a state could further enact a state law, quote, transferring the power to draw legislative maps to a commission, end quote, using the ballot initiative process. And that's as documented by Vox in an article that the same one, um, Supreme Court, the state of U.S. elections is an, is an Amy Coney Barrett's hands. Millheiser also highlighted the hypocrisy of the four current conservatives on the Supreme Court as they seem to reject the doctrine in the Arizona case, yet endorse the very same doctrine when it seemed to improve Trump's re-election bid in 2020. And that is, as documented in Vox, the same article about Amy Coney Barrett. Rucho v. Common Cause, 2019. The Rucho case addressed whether federal courts have standing to hear lawsuits challenging partisan gerrymanders. The majority opinion decided that federal courts do not have the authority, that authority. Conservative justices Alito, Gorsuch, Thomas, and Kavanaugh joined the majority opinion. The Rucho decision also recognized that states may limit their legislature's power to create congressional maps, stating that, quote, provisions in state statutes and state constitutions can provide standards and guidance for state courts to apply, end quote, within the context of partisan gerrymandering cases. According to Milheiser, Rucho came close to endorsing, quote, constitutional amendments creating multi-member commissions that will be responsible in whole or in part for creating and approving district maps for congressional and state legislative districts, end quote. And again, that's Rucho, as documented by Rucho v. Common Cause, Google Scholar, Supreme Court, as well as Milheiser's article in Vox. Again, the fate of U.S. elections is in Amy Coney Barrett's hands. Deviating from my article, I don't usually quote a lot from the same source, but in this one, it, it, it worked, and Milheiser is really a definitive uh, X. Back to my article. Problem number two, the doctrine was rejected by the founding voters. There is strong evidence from the nation's founders showing they rejected the idea that state legislators be granted unchecked power over laws governing federal elections. And again, it's from the same Vox article. Legal scholars Vikram Amar from University of Illinois College of Law and Akhil Amar from Yale Law School published a paper, in, a paper titled Eradicating Bush League Arguments Root and Branch. The Article II Independent State Legislature Notion and Related Rubbish. And you can find that article under Papers SSRN. They explain how four of the 13 original states adopted specific state 
constitutional provisions which restricted legislative power to determine the rules governing federal elections. If the independent state legislator doctrine were a legitimate mandate deriving from the Constitution, those restrictions placed on state legislatures would have been declared unconstitutional. These limits on state legislatures were put in place during the first term of President George Washington. It doesn't get any more originalist than that. The authors also noted in their paper that, quote, at least two early states that provided for vetoes for general legislative action employed such vetoes in the process by which federal election rules were made. Again, the same paper. Additionally, in Massachusetts, quote, bills regulating federal elections were not considered by the legislative houses alone, but were presented to and subject to disapproval by the governor, end quote. Furthermore, in New York, quote, such bills were subjected to a council of review that included not only the governor, but also members of the state judiciary. The same article I quoted by the same authors. It appears that contrary to sponsors of this doctrine, which represents a radical power shift from the electorate to the state legislatures, the actual founding voters understood that those state-level legislatures were never granted carte blanche power over election law. The voters of George Washington's time understood that an overly ambitious state legislature can be placed in check by the state constitution, the state judiciary, or governor's veto. There was no such thing as, quote, the independent state legislature's doctrine at the founding and creation of the U.S. Constitution. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I need a little drink here. And now problem number three of my piece. Problem number three. The independent state legislator doctrine is utterly unworkable. The pseudo-logic of this doctrine is a formula for legislative chaos. If the doctrine is accepted at face value, then there would be no mechanism to check the decisions made by each state legislature as the state courts are excluded from the question of how a state runs federal elections. Basically, this doctrine has no provision for any judicial referee function. Legislatures pass laws, but state courts are forbidden from ruling how to apply those laws under this dangerous theory. The independent state legislator doctrine takes state courts out of the equation in direct violation of precedent dating back to 1803 in the case of Marbury v. Madison. In fact, the Marbury case established the authority of the Supreme Court when it clearly stated that, quote, it is emphatically the duty of the judicial department to say what the law is. Those who apply the rule to particular cases must, of necessity, expound and interpret the rule. If two laws conflict with each other, the court must decide on the operation of each. And that is documented by Justia, U.S. Supreme Court Center, Marbury v. Madison. <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> with the Marbury decision in mind, which should meet even the most stringent standards of any originalist, Let's return to the Moore case, currently before the shadow docket of the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, I'm going to stop here for my article in a minute. This article was published in late March. At that point, the Moore case was in the shadow docket. Now it's been taken out of the shadow docket, and it's going to be looked at out in the open. 
okay, just to clarify that. So back to my article. Quote, keep in mind that the shadow docket allows the court to decide a case without oral arguments. Review of this. Okay, let me start again. Back to this. Again, this was written in late March. Back to the original paragraph. Quote, with the Marbury decision in mind, which should meet even the most stringent standards of any originalist, let's return to the Moore case, currently before the shadow docket of the U.S. Supreme Court. End quote. So again, late March. Back to the article. Keep in mind that the shadow docket allows the court to decide a case without oral arguments, review of necessary documents, or identifying signatures of each justice. I'm going to deviate from my piece and keep that in mind. The shadow docket allows the Supreme Court to decide a case without any oral argument, without any without mandating oral argument, that is, without mandating any review of documents and without mandating uh, that the justices sign off on it. That in and of itself is a travesty. Okay, back to my article. Quote, the Moore case deals with redistricting in North Carolina, a state with a long history of voter suppression and other Jim Crow violations. North Carolina does, however, have a state constitutional provision which forbids the legislature from creating any redistricting map. That particular provision was proposed by the state legislature and became part of the state constitution. This is the very provision the North Carolina Supreme Court relied on to revoke gerrymandered maps created by Republicans. You can look at that at Document Cloud. And that's Harper v. Hall, NC, SupremeCourtOpinions.pdf. You can also look up the article and see the sourcing yourself. Back to my piece. Subsequently, the facts in the Moore case clearly demonstrate that the court did not overrule the state legislature in any regard. The argument is between a gerrymandered congressional redistricting map endorsed by Republicans and a previous constitutional provision that, all, that was also endorsed by both parties in the state legislature. The relevant question remains, which branch of government should decide what the law is and how it should be applied in order to remain true to constitutional principles. As we saw in Marbury v. Madison, the judiciary is the branch tasked with deciding these questions. Stripping the judiciary of their constitutional duties, as the GOP would demand, using this ill-conceived doctrine, reduces state election laws to impotent wish lists. Stripping state courts of the duty to adjudicate state election law, or any state law, Remove the courts from our tripartite system of government. The independent state legislature doctrine is nothing but the very legislative overreach that the GOP shrieks about continually as they systemically work to dismantle democratic rule. And now to conclusion. The independent state legislature's doctrine as an attack on democracy itself. This doctrine is an attack on the very existence of democracy. It strips state courts of any right to, to judicial review regarding election law, both in congressional and presidential elections, equally. Taken to its most extreme form, legislatures could bring back the most virulent forms of Jim Crow with impunity, which is its allure to the GOP. Redistricting is the tip of the iceberg as the full spectrum of election law could fall under the umbrella of this fraudulent doctrine. 
accountability and transparency in election law would be reduced to a cruel joke. There is no veto power for governors and no right to judicial review through the court. This doctrine is a blank check for state legislatures. It is a criminal ploy pushed by a GOP determined to maintain power at any cost. It cynically exposes GOP claims of judicial restraint, respect for precedence, and originalism as little more than, quote, doctrines of convenience useful until they get in the way of a desired political result. And that's according to court's report, uh, Senate.gov. A recent report prepared by Democratic Senators Stabenow, Schumer, and White House titled Captured Court documented how the GOP has plotted to control the judiciary using legal deceit. To quote from the document, quote, this report looks behind the curtain of the GOP's long campaign of judicial capture into the fundamental threat it poses to the rule of law and American democracy, end quote. End quote. And make no mistake, we are in a state of judicial capture. Conservative jurists are promoting pseudo-legal theories lacking constitutional merit, such as the major questions, non-delegation, and the independent state legislators' doctrine, which are designed to dismantle the very federal laws hated by the corporate state. Additionally, evidence of an ethically compromised SCOTUS or Supreme Court is accumulating as conservative dark money groups spend millions on political pressure campaigns to promote the judicial flavor of the month guaranteed to produce SCOTUS decisions favored by corporate coffers. And that's this documented by Open Secrets in an article titled Secretive Conservative Legal Group Funded by $17 million, $17 million Mystery Donor Before Kavanaugh Fight. Back to the piece. The idea, of, the idea of judicial independence from politics, especially at the Supreme Court, has become another sick joke. Our nation is at a legal and ethical crossroads where we must choose between actual rule of law or the rule of judicial capture. To pretend that the U.S. Supreme Court is above politics is as ludicrous as claiming to be a little bit pregnant and just as obvious. And that was the piece that I did. Okay? You can read this piece. You can go, all the pieces are archived. Go to Janine Mala for BuzzFlash judicial capture series. Everything's documented. All right. So now, give me a second here, folks. I have to get my sound effects ready. Bear with me, because we're getting ready for our special Jackass of the Week. And this is a very special Jackass this week. It truly is. Give me a second here. And so now, get ready. Waiting for it. Mm. Come on now. We're waiting. Everything's kind of slow today. Bear with me. I'm not a tech engineer. Mm, this is so slow today. Here we go. This week, the Jackass of the Week report. I love that sound. 
Okay. This week, we have a very special jackass from my home state of Missouri, and it is U.S. Senator Josh Hawley. I did call and leave a message on his machine here in St. Louis. His D.C. Um, crew don't bother to answer the phone. So just recently, you know, Hawley has done a lot of incredibly stupid things. Uh, you know, this guy, first of all, he claimed to be a populist, and he he hates these elitists. Now, keep in mind, Josh Hawley earned his undergrad degree from Stanford and his law degree from none other than the Yale Law School. But he's not an elitist, no. And, and just when you thought Hawley, Josh Hawley couldn't break any louder as a jackass, his response to a question regarding the Nazi-inspired Great Replacement Theory was pure jackassery in full bloom. Little Joshy was asked about this bigoted propaganda, which uh, Tucker Carlson pushes at all times, and he claimed he didn't know much about it. Now, this was reported by the Kansas City Star, and this claim is, is it's so lame, all right? So the Kansas City Star rep reported this because it, it's turned into a thing, all right? You know, Tucker Carlson has pushed this great replacement theory, and he gets this puzzled look on his face, and you know, the great replacement theory is basically saying that whites, and when they mean whites, they mean white Christians, okay, that whites are being um, basically overrun, that soon they will be a minority, a racial minority. And, uh, you know, whatever, but um, this replacement theory traces its origins back to, you know, the Nazi propaganda of the 1930s and 40s. And Tucker Carlson knows this, but he doesn't care. Uh, and so the Kansas City Star, you know, uh, this was in lieu of, let me back up a little bit. After the shootings, there's been so many shootings in Buffalo, you know, President Biden traveled to Buffalo, and it was a black area, and President Biden spoke about radicalizing hate. And he said the following, quote, a hate that has radicalized, angry, alienated, lost, and isolated individuals into falsely believing that they will be replaced, that's the word, replaced by the other, by people who don't look like them and who are therefore uh, in a perverse ideology that they possess and being fed lesser beings. Biden went on to say, quote, I call on all Americans to reject the lie, and I condemn those who spread the lie for power, political gain, and for profit, end quote. Now, this piece was um, run, I guess around that time in May. And since it was from the Kansas City Star, um, the reporter, you know, asked both U.S. senators from Missouri about it, okay? And so, uh, you know, Roy Blunt said that, you know, he was asked earlier, and he's, he's, re and he's you know, retiring, and Blunt said, you know, quote, it's an outrageous theory. I totally rejected it as any reasonable discussion to be had, end quote. And that's what Roy Blunt told the Kansas City Star. But the Star went on to say that Blunt stopped short, and I'm just reading straight from the article, quote, he, quote, Roy Blunt, stopped short of condemning Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt and former Missouri Governor Eric Greitens, who have both been criticized for promoting the theory, end quote. Now, both Schmidt and Greitens are running for the U.S. Senate seat being vacated, you know, by Roy Blunt. So, you know, Blunt 
didn't really go too far, but, you know, he did. Now, little Joshy was asked about it. Okay, and let me get back up here. Um, and, you know, he was asked about it, and Holly said, uh, quote, I don't really know what it is, but sure, he'd reject it. Okay. Now, again, replacement theory is that racist and anti-Semitic belief that white people are having enough kids and that they're going to be replaced and overrun by minorities. And, you know, it was there in Charlottesville in 2017. Now, the, the thing is this. This, this. this theory, this white replacement theory, has been really pushed first and foremost by Tucker Carlson. And Holly is a frequent guest on Carlson's show for him to claim, uh, and, and the reporter asked, asked Josh Holly if he had heard Tucker Carlson promoting replacement theory, and Holly said no. Um, once again, this is just absolutely ludicrous. What Josh Holly is basically saying is, you know, this is worse than, you know, a snot-nosed third grader claiming that, you know, the dog ate my homework. So for all these reasons, Josh Hawley this week has truly earned the Jackass of the Week Award. Ray on, little Joshy, Ray on. Oh, my goodness. Privilege does have its, its reward. Okay. So... That is our show for today. It's a little shorter than usual. I got straight to the point. Um, We will be talking more about what's happening with the Supreme Court and also in state legislatures. You know, I just found out today, and it's really horrible. There's There's an Ohio state representative. Her name is Representative Sarah Fowler Arthur. And she's pushing a bill to teach, quote, all sides of the Holocaust. Just when you think they can't think any lower. Uh, and that's her, what she's promoting is part of an anti-CRT bill. Let's get it straight, okay? The fact is this. There is no all sides to the Holocaust. There is no all sides to slavery or Jim Crow. They were both evil, period. It's really that simple. Well, we're going to be talking about that in the future. We're going to be also talking about environmental racism on the Environmental Justice Report. And we're going to be talking about the whole idea of originalism, because it is a bogus theory. So we're going to be talking about a lot of things in the future. I hope you will join us. Um, And with this, and I hope you learned something today. Uh, We will continue to expose the lies of really Dems and Republicans, but especially the far right. We just will. And uh, hopefully <laughs> there will be a lot of conservatives that hate my guts, and I, I wear that, that award with pride. So, you know, with that I say good night, and God bless us because we're going to need it.